Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. This morning, I want to talk about living in light of Easter. This past week, we have celebrated the very foundation of our beliefs, the very foundation of Christianity, Christ crucified for our sins, culminating in our celebration today, the fact that he rose again from the dead on the third day and he lives and reigns forevermore. 99% of you know the story. 99% of you could tell every detail of the story of his week of passion and his resurrection. You know the facts. You know the details. Let me ask you, how does it affect how you live? You may think, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to hell. That's how it's affected me. And you know what? Those are wonderful truths of the gospel about our future glorification. The assurance that we have. But my question is, how is it affecting the way you choose to live right now? What difference is it making in your life right now that Christ has died for you and Christ is risen? There's kind of a joke within our household about me having all these random useless facts in my brain and statistics and stuff. I got a lot of useless stuff in my head. And we might be having a conversation and all of a sudden I'll just blurt out some fact or something and my family will look at me like, who in the world knows that stuff? Or we're playing a game. And you know, it might be trivia, you know, there might be trivia, you know, I have to answer or whatever, and I'll just pop out this answer and they look at me like, what planet are you from? Are you really that weird? Who knows that stuff? So I, I got a lot of useless stuff up there. So a few months ago, I, you know, I was just reading through, you know, looking over the highlights of the news, and, and there was this uh, article about the game show Jeopardy. And so, you know, it's just the way that my brain works. I mean, my brain is a scary place, but I'll give you a little picture of how my brain works. You know, I'm looking at this article about Jeopardy, and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I could go on Jeopardy. You know... All that useless stuff in my brain, I might as well put it to good use. Hey, why not? Let's give it a try. So I went to their website, and what you have to do is you got to go and, and take this quiz online. And it, it's, it's I, don't, I don't remember even now, it's like 50 questions that you have to answer in 15 minutes. Thankfully, you don't have to do the whole, put it in a question form, what is the blank and blank. You know, so I thought, well, why not? I got a little time. So I took the test for Jeopardy. Let's just say you're not going to see me on TV anytime soon. <laughs> it, it, it was sad. Most of the questions that they asked had absolutely nothing to do with all the junk that's in my brain. All that stuff. They asked the wrong questions. That was the problem. I know a lot of facts about stuff. But those facts don't do me any good if it doesn't translate into my life. 
And the same is true about knowing things about Jesus, knowing things about his death, knowing things about his resurrection. It's not enough to just know the facts. Not enough to just know the story. And so the passage that we're looking at today is a prayer that Paul gives for the church that we would have knowledge about the gospel, we would have knowledge about Christ's death, we would have knowledge about Christ's resurrection, we would have knowledge about the blessings that we receive because of them, but it's not just a prayer for the church to know. It's not just about knowing stuff, but that the church would live in light of the truths of Good Friday and Easter. So I guess you could say the point of what we're trying to say today is that the story of Easter doesn't merely contain facts to be known, but it contains truths to be lived. It doesn't merely contain facts to be known, it contains truths to be lived. And so I want to read verses 15 through 23 of Ephesians chapter 1. I hope that's where I told you to turn earlier. If you'll stand in reverence to the reading of God's holy word as I read these verses. And Paul writes this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, I pray that we don't just know stuff, but Lord, that we live according to what it is that we know. Christ didn't die and rise again for us to know stuff, but to live in the light of his glory and grace. And we pray we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now to give a little context of what's going on here in the passage that is right before this one, Paul praises God for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the spiritual blessings that become ours when we place our faith in him. Paul says that these are truths of the gospel that can be believed because Christ is risen. We can believe the gospel message because Christ is risen. And then this then leads to the section that we're in today where Paul tells the church that he prays for them constantly. And the content of his prayer, according to verse 17, begins by praying that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would sometimes be called the spirit of wisdom and revelation and, and, and in the knowledge of him. And, and so, it's, you know, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. And, and so Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would give 
the church wisdom and would reveal God to the church in such a way that they would have this knowledge. But that word knowledge there isn't just about knowing stuff. It's not just about knowing facts. It refers to having an accurate knowledge of God and an accurate knowledge of His will such that it affects your conduct. You know so that you can live. You know so that you can live. Then he continues in verse 18, praying that the eyes of the church's heart would be enlightened, that the mind and will and emotions of the church would be aligned with what the Spirit illuminates in revealing God. And we know, you know, we know God's revelation through uh, His Word. And this enlightenment, this illumination, is given so that we would know certain truths, right? That's what it says in verse 18. But that word know, again, does not just mean knowing stuff. It's actually different than the previous word about knowledge. And it refers to understanding that comes through experience. So, to summarize what Paul is praying for the church, he is saying, I pray that God, through His Spirit, would give you a correct knowledge of God so that it would affect the way that you live. And to further explain what I'm saying, I pray that the Spirit would illuminate truth to you from God's revelation so that you would be able to understand by experience the truths that come from the gospel. In other words, know these things so you can live these things, and by living these things, you will experience these things. Sometimes we get this all sorts of mixed up because we think if we get beyond just mere head knowledge, well, I, I need to experience things before I start living out. I read truths in Scripture and I think that I need to experience it first before I start living it out. And Paul's saying, we got this all sorts of messed up here. You know so that you can live, and then you experience. I choose to live by faith, and guess what? The experience will come. Now, within this particular prayer, there are three spiritual truths, and truths about us, and really truths about our identity and who we are in Christ, because of the resurrection, and he names these three truths that we would know so we could live, so then we would experience, right? And so what are these three truths? Well, first, the first truth is the truth of our hope. The truth of our hope. In verse 18, he prays that you may know and live what is the hope to which God has called you. Now, the biblical meaning of hope is that there are truths that God has revealed to us that are foregone conclusions based on his character and his actions. There are promises that God gives that I can, to use a colloquial phrase, take it to the bank because I trust God's character and his actions. And so I can rest assured that these truths are true, even if I don't see them and even if I don't feel them. They are true because God says they are true. And that is the foundation of my hope. I live in hope 
believing the truths that he has revealed and the promises that he's given, that they're true even if I can't see them and even if I can't feel them. I can't experience them. Because we have been called to this, you know. Paul describes this as the hope to which he called you. You know, God called you to believe the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, rose again. That's a truth we need to trust. We're called to that, and then we become part of the called, part of God's elect people. And we are called to then trust him, walk by faith, not by sight. Walk and live as these are true. Hold on to that hope as they are true just because God has said it and he has guaranteed them. These truths are guaranteed. This is our hope. You are in Christ. You are blessed spiritually. And he has given you so many different things. So, you know, I mentioned before that the passage before this, he, he talked about all these spiritual blessings that are ours exactly because Christ is raised from the dead. He says, you are an adopted child of God. We know that's true because Christ died, but he rose again. He says, you have been redeemed, meaning you've been purchased by God, and you belong to him now. We know that's true because Christ died, but he ro also rose again. Paul says that your trespasses have been forgiven. How do I know my trespasses are forgiven? Because Christ died, but he rose again. Paul says you're lavished with grace that brings wisdom and insight. How do I know that? Christ died, but he rose again. He says, you are part of God's united people. How do I know I'm part of the people? Because Christ died and he rose again. He says, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the down payment for future glory and, and the truths being culminated. How do I know I have the Holy Spirit? How do I know that he is the down payment? Because Christ died, but he also rose again. Again, those are the blessings we have, being in Christ. Those are, that's foundation of our hope. So, we are called to this. We are called to this hope. And so this is a calling saying, you know this is, you can be assured of this hope. You can be assured of these blessings. You can be assured of these promises that are found. And because you have that assurance, live like it's all true. It doesn't matter what lies you've been told. It doesn't matter how your emotions feel right at this moment. These things are true of you if you are in Christ and you are assured of them. Now trust that they're true and live it out. The problem with our modern day and age is that we have let our feelings determine truth. I feel like this or that, and so it must be true, instead of letting the truth dictate our feelings, right? This is, this is reflected in culture, right? The culture, you know, someone in culture will say, well, I might be a man, but I feel like a woman, so that's the way I'm going to live. That's the way our culture is, is it not? That don't work. That's not the way it works. I mean, I could say that, yeah, you know, I may be a pastor, but really I feel like the emperor of the entire galaxy, and I'm going to rule and reign with an iron fist. I could feel that way all I want. Guess what? Ain't going to happen because it's not the truth. 
My hope is not based on my feelings. Truth is truth. And I have to trust God enough and believe it and align my life with it. And Christ's resurrection is proof and the guarantee that I have this hope. That the spiritual blessings are true. And so we align our thinking and our feeling to the truth. I may not feel like I'm an adopted child of God, but God's Word says that I am. I have trusted in Christ. And so the truth is that I am an adopted child of God. And so I live like it. I live like I'm an adopted child of God. You know, I don't feel forgiven all the time, mainly because I do a whole lot of stupid sins. And it's not like I just fall into them either. No, it's like, I'm going to choose to do this just because. And so I might not feel forgiven, feel, but I am in Christ. And I have the hope that all of my sins are forgiven so I can live as someone who is forgiven. If I choose not to live out the knowledge of my hope, I will live in bondage. But if I live out the hope that I have in Christ, I can live free. I can live free. You know, there's an oft-repeated tale that when the Civil War ended and, and Lincoln signed the uh, you know, Emancipation Proclamation, that some slave owners tried to keep that truth and hide that fact from the slaves so that they could try and keep them enslaved. You know, even though the slaves were legally free, they didn't live like it because they didn't know the truth or they didn't believe the truth or, you know, something like that. How many Christians are living out that bondage? Because they don't know the truth, they don't believe the truth. These are wonderful truths of our hope, the hope of his calling. These are true of everyone who's believed in Jesus Christ. And Paul is praying that you would know the hope of his calling, that you would know all these things are true of you, and you would live it out. No matter what society might say, no matter what your deceitful heart might say, no matter how you feel, you can know you have this hope because Christ is risen. And you can live it out. Live out like he is risen. Live out as if you do have this hope. But that's not the only truth that he talks about. There's a second truth. The truth of our value. The truth of our value. At the end of verse 18... Paul says that he wants you to know and live out what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You know, we might, now you, you read that and you might think he's talking about our inheritance in Christ. You know, we get spiritual riches from God as our inheritance is one of his children. And, you know, I mean, that's true. We do have a lot of spiritual riches in the here and now. And, you know, we'll get to the culmination of that when we die or when Christ returns. We have a rich inheritance through Jesus Christ. But that's actually not what it's talking about here. Because look what it says. Paul wants us to know and live according to the truth of what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So whose inheritance is it? Well, it's his inheritance. It's God's inheritance. It's talking about God the Father. It's talking about what God the Father inherits through Jesus Christ. Well, where is this inheritance? Where is this inheritance located? Paul says this inheritance is located in the saints. God has 
his inheritance in the saints. Who are the saints? Well, according to Scripture, it's anyone who's believed in Jesus Christ. They are the saints. Saints are not super holy people. You know, St. Bob, St. Joe, St. whoever. Everyone, all of us are saints if we're in Christ. And so here's what Paul is praying. Paul is praying that we would know that God considers us his rich inheritance. And let that truth be reflected in your life. Think about what that means. God considers you to be of infinite value. Yes, I'm talking to you. God considers you to be of infinite value. He did send his son to die on the cross for you, right? How much more valuable can you get? I mean, th just think about earthly inheritance. You know, we often think of money. When we think of inheritance, we, we think of money. But often in inheritance, there, there are items that are of more personal value. You know, they might not be valuable outside the family, but it's variable, you know, maybe a family heirloom or something like that. You know, because it brings fond memories or, you know, it, it, it makes it valuable to that individual. It's precious in your sight if, if you get it. You know, yeah, okay, when your grandmother passes away, she may have left you some money, but she also left you these two rocking chairs whose value might not even be $50 or more, but when you look at those rocking chairs, you remember the endless hours that you would sit with your grandmother on her front porch, rocking back and forth, talking about anything and everything. They have value to you. They might not have value to anybody else, but it don't matter what anybody else thinks. They have value to you. And God looks at you, and he sees someone for whom his son died and rose again. And he sees you as a precious inheritance of more value than like the rest of creation, you could say, everything outside of his people. You have value to God, and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It don't matter. What does God care what anybody else thinks? Why should we? I have value in God's sight. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't even matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I think. I have value to him. You have value to him. And he sees you as his rich inheritance. You are his rich inheritance. And you are because Christ rose again. You know, you might be considered a reject in the world and society or whatever. That's at least what you think the world thinks. You might think that you are a loser in so many different ways. You might feel alone. You might feel persecuted. You might feel this and that. There's that word again, feelings. Your feelings and your circumstances do not change the fact of the truth of your identity. When he looks at you, he sees his inheritance. If you are in Christ, if you've trusted the gospel message, if you... If what Easter is all about has changed your life, you are his. He looks at you and says, hey, look at this guy over here. That's my inheritance because my son died to pay for him. Look at this lady over here. She's my inheritance because my son died 
to bring her to me. They belong to me. And you know, you only get an inheritance when someone dies. Well, Christ died and rose again so that God the Father could get his inheritance. And that's you. And that's me. And so, when things are happening in your life, and everyone has things happening in their life, yes, you know what? It's Easter Sunday morning. We dress up. We get all that. We get ready for pictures. And, and we put on the mask. Oh, yeah, look at me. I'm a good Easter Christian. All, all is well. All is well. But inside, you know, there's things happening in your life. Everyone has things happening in your life. We don't need to be fake here. We don't need to put on a mask. Everyone has things happening in their life. And, and those things are making you think of yourself less than who you really are. And then, you know, when, when you're thinking that way, you align your life that way. If that's you, if circumstances of life are causing you to live out almost, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, well, you know, this is what I think of myself and this is what I think of that and my life is just going to go that way because that's what I'm thinking. Well, stop. Remember the value that you have to God. This is an Easter truth to live by. No matter what the world might say, no matter what thoughts might come into your brain, no matter what lies Satan whispers in your ear, you say, no, you know what? Here's the truth. And I'm going to live by this truth. I am God's inheritance. I have infinite value in his eyes. This is the God of the universe we're talking about here. And it's true because Christ died and he rose again. And you know what? Nothing else matters. Don't matter what you think. Don't matter what the world thinks. Don't matter what culture says. This is truth. This is Easter truth right here. And so I'm going to live out my identity. I'm going to live like the rich inheritance that I am. But one last truth, very quickly. Thirdly, there is the truth of our power. We have power. In verse 19, Paul prays that we know and live out what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. You know, in one sense, it's reminding us that God has great power such great power that he is able to fulfill his word. Nobody can stop God from fulfilling his word. You know what? If God says, here's hope, guess what? No one can stop that hope. If God says that you have value, no one can stop that. No one can change that. If God says that you have salvation because you have trusted in his son, Jesus Christ, guess what? He will fulfill your salvation. No, no one can stop God. How do we know, though, that God has this great power? What is it that Paul points to to demonstrate that God has the power? He says it is because he had the power to raise Christ from the dead, and then he seated Christ in the place of authority. Here's the neat thing. Throughout Scripture, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof that God has all power. You know, when you would think, you would think, that if God was going to say, you want to see my power? Look at this big universe that I created. Look at the billions of galaxies that have billions of star systems in them and all of that. You would think God would point to that, but he doesn't. He always points to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the greatest display of his power. And what is great is that 
God's power is for us. It's not against us. He says in verse 19, he says this power is toward us. He uses his power on our behalf. He used, God uses his eternal, infinite power for the benefit of his people. But Paul isn't only praying that you know the power that is at work toward you, but you also would know the power of God that is work in you and through you. The power of God that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you to form you into Christ-likeness, to make you holy. God is able to take our hard, stubborn hearts and make them pliable to his will. God is able to take the ugly within us and turn it beautiful. He is able to take the decay of death that's within us and turn it into a place of light and life. That takes power. And it's the power of the resurrected Christ that makes that possible. But because of our identity with Christ, we also have the power of God working through us. Through us. We have access to resurrection power. But no, it's not like some teachers out there that say you can do some, all sorts of magical stuff. Oh yeah, you got this resurrection power. You can do this, this and that and, and, and the other thing. But when you read through Scripture, God's power is displayed through us when we are perfectly aligned with His will and we are submitted to Him in whatever it is that He wants us to do. Yes, if you have faith enough, you can tell this mountain to move from here to here. That's power. The, pro the thing is, though, you've got to remember, it's only if God so wills that that mountain be moved from there to there that that power will be displayed. When we are submitted under God, under Christ, and His will, that's when the power works through us. It's power that tells us that we, that, that, that there is nothing that can prevent God's will from being fulfilled in us. This is seen in the authority, in the authority that Christ has. Christ has all authority. You know, Paul in verse 21, he talks about having power over all rule and authority and, and dominion and things like that. It's talking about the fact that, well, he, he even says that everything's placed under, under Christ's feet. That means everything is under Christ's authority, whether it's in the heavenlies, whether it's in the earth, wherever. Everything is under Christ's authority. Right? Jesus told the, told the apostles in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. I mean, all. When Jesus says all authority has been given to me, that means all. Everything's under Christ. But we share in that authority he, because we, are, we belong to him. You know, the Bible tells us that we're going to judge angels one day. That's authority. But again, it's aligned under Christ. We don't, we don't have this power trying to force our will on God or anything else. We live in power when we live by faith in submission to Christ and His will for us. We live by faith in submission to Christ's will for us. I mean, how many times did Jesus say, your faith has healed you, your faith has saved you? When we live by faith, not by sight, under the authority of Christ, we see true power at work. That resurrection power will work through us when we are under Christ's authority 
and power. One author, thinking about the power that was found in revivals of old, he said this, why was there power in these revivalists? He said, the leaders of the Great Awakening had extraordinary power in evangelism and renewal. They followed an omnipotent Christ, the divine warrior, and he anointed them with his missionary presence. But this power was poured out on those who knew that they were inherently powerless without a constant dependence upon the working of God's grace in their lives. God's power was on display in them when they were under Christ. When they knew, you know, it's nothing about me. It's nothing about me seeing some magical formula or word. Being able to force my will onto God or anybody else, <coughs> I will see Christ's resurrection power in me when I am submitted and under authority and dependent on him. And everyone thinks, well, that doesn't sound like power. Are you kidding me? Did you not hear me? That is when Christ's resurrection power is truly at work. And according to God, there is no greater power than that. But are you living as if you are submitted to God and he is able to work his power toward you, in you, through you? We're Americans. We're independent. We don't, we don't need that. We got, we got this church thing figured out and, and this Christian living thing figured out. I can find the right programs. I can, we can do all that. We, we got this. And then we wonder why the church is anemic. Because we are not living under his authority in his power. So when are we going to start living like it? I'll conclude with this thought. You've, you've heard the term working knowledge. The term speaks about information you have about a particular subject that you can then use, you know, use skillfully to fulfill a task. You have a knowledge, you're able to apply the knowledge. And I fear today that many Christians, if not the majority of us, we have a knowledge of Christ, we have a knowledge of His resurrection, but it doesn't flow into a lifestyle. We think it's enough to come and sit in a pew, let the preacher preach, get filled with all sorts of knowledge, head knowledge. Yeah, the preacher, he had three points in a poem, and you know, he did the Baptist thing, and I know it. Okay, good. Let's go live our lives and just do our own thing. That's definitely not living in resurrection power. His resurrection doesn't flow through into our lifestyle. We don't have a working knowledge of Christ's resurrection. Celebrating Easter is not just knowing that Christ arose, but living as if he arose. Living it out. There are people who follow philosophies 
who really are bought in to their philosophies so much more than most Christians are. Followers of Socrates, Aristotle, Nietzsche, whoever. The problem is all those philosophers are dead. There's people who follow religions, and they're very zealous for their religion. They follow Muhammad, they follow Buddha. They follow Confucius. The problem is, they're all dead. There are people who live very zealously for psychology. They follow the theories of Freud. They follow the theories of Jung. The problem is, they're dead. Y'all, Christ is alive. Are you going to live like it? Are you going to live like it? Christian, maybe you need to come to the altar and ask God to give you the faith to live in this hope, to live knowing your value, to live in this power. To actually live it. Not just take in all this information. Come to the altar. Pray that things change. Have you all not seen what's been going on in the culture lately? Where is the power of Christ in the church? that is going to put a stop to all this. Preacher, I ain't got time to go to no altar. We got Easter lunch to go to. And then watch the world go to hell. But maybe there's some here today, yeah, I walked an aisle, I was baptized, like we saw Jordan baptized earlier, but it has not made one lick of difference in your life. You know the stories but you have not dedicated yourself to the one whom the stories are about. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive life today. May none of us leave this place today just knowing the story of Easter, but may we leave here today living out Easter. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.